A 45-year-old anesthesiologist returns home after a 24-hours overnight call in the hospital. This call has been particularly difficult, one with back-to-back -back emergency surgeries and very sick patients. She feels completely exhausted. She's been working very long hours with many overnight calls for months on end now, and her recent visit to the primary care doctor even showed that her blood pressure was elevated. When is this going to end, she thinks to herself. I don't know if I can keep doing this, but if I don't keep working, it's just going to put more pressure on my friends and colleagues to work. And if that happens, what will happen to all the patients that need us? But I just can't keep going, and I feel so numb. Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alopi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome to Season 5 of The Hurt Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about physician burnout. This is definitely a deviation from our usual topics, but we think it's a very important topic. As anesthesiologists, we can lead in many parts of the hospital, outpatient pain centers, inpatient pain, operating rooms, and ICUs. And as anesthesiologists, we're often so focused on providing the best care to patients that we forget to take care of ourselves. So what does this look like? How often does this happen? How can this affect the individual physician? Does this ultimately impact patient care? And where do we go from here as physicians and really as the medical community as a whole? Joining me today is Dr. Anushka Afonso, dual board certified physician in anesthesiology and internal medicine. Dr. Afonso attended medical school at Georgetown University School of Medicine, followed by residency in internal medicine and anesthesiology at Mount Sinai Medical Center. She's currently Associate Professor at Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital and Director of Enhanced Recovery After Surgery, working to improve perioperative outcomes after cancer surgery. She publishes extensively, and in May of 2021, her publication entitled Burnout Rate and Risk Factors Among Anesthesiologists in the United States was featured on the cover of Anesthesiology, which is a leading medical journal in the United States. Welcome, Dr. Afonso. Oh, thank you. I'm just so excited to be here, Mira. Absolutely. So we'll just start with like the very first question, which is what is burnout? Since that's what we're talking about today. It has come up in the news ever so much after COVID. And so there are basically three main symptoms that are considered signs of burnout. Number one, exhaustion. So people affected feel drained, emotionally exhausted, unable to cope, tired and down, just don't have enough energy. Number two, depersonalization. And what I mean when I say depersonalization is they're a little alienated from work-related activities. So they may start becoming cynical about their working conditions, their colleagues. Um, at the same time, they may increase their distance, you know, distance themselves emotionally and start feeling numb about their work, right? So that's number two. And number three is really reduced performance. So a reduced sense of personal accomplishment. So burnout 
mainly affects people, you know, everyday tasks of work. Um, and people with burnout are very negative about their tasks. They find it hard to concentrate. They don't feel they accomplish as much as they used to. So it's basically those three things, uh, three dimensions, so to speak, that um, characterize high risk for burnout. So what's interesting, Mira, is burnout is now characterized as um, a syndrome that results from, quote unquote, chronic workplace stress that has not successfully been managed. According to the World Health Organization um, International Disease Classification, I, um, ICD, okay? It's basically a compendium of diseases. So it's really interesting that burnout, it's really a workplace phenomenon. And sometimes people use burnout or burnout syndrome. And people think they're the same thing and they're really not. So what does high risk for burnout mean? It, it means that you're either, the first dimension, emotionally exhausted and or you have depersonalization, okay? But burnout syndrome, that's when you have that trifecta. That's when you're adding all three things. You have um, all three dimensions of exhaustion, depersonalization, and a low sense of accomplishment. So I think that's a very important aspect. Another important aspect, Mira, that I think people have sometimes confused is the difference between burnout and depression. And it's true, certain symptoms are considered typical for burnout, but that can also occur in depression, such as exhaustion, feeling down, reduced performance. Um, so because a lot of these symptoms are very similar, some people may be diagnosed with burnout, although they may actually have depression. So it's important not to self-diagnose burnout too quickly, and doing so can uh, lead to the wrong treatment. What is interesting is depression is, you know, not necessarily just in the workplace. It carries outside the workplace, whereas burnout, it's solely, you know, resulting from workplace stress. Got it. Now, you know, you kind of mentioned a variety of symptoms. Can there be physical manifestations of burnout? Like, can this also be manifested in terms of your blood pressure or diabetes, things that you might see a doctor for otherwise? The negative effects of burnout really spill into all areas of life, including your home, work, social life. It can cause long-term changes in your body that make you vulnerable to colds and flu. <laughs> but um, because of its many consequences, it's important to deal with burnout right away. But in answer to your question, Mira, um, physician health or you know, is definitely affected by burnout. Um, for example, there was a study about 10 years ago where they looked at precursors or what could cause MIs, and they asked a question, have you ever been burnt out? And that, that question was included in the study. And they, they looked, the cohort, they studied about almost 4,000 men age 39 to 65, and they followed them for about 4.2 years. And those that answered yes, um, when they looked at the study results, were found to be more than twice as likely to be increased risk for a heart attack. Even when they controlled for age, blood pressure, smoking, cholesterol. That's scary. Burnout, you know, physical symptoms such as chronic head headaches, for example, 
um, stomach issues, gastrointestinal problems, um, nausea, sleeping difficulties. And so it's important to recognize and really treat burnout early. Um, and even with psychological counseling support, you know, a lot of people feel better soon and can recover quickly. So it's very intricately related to your quality of life um, in terms of physical health. So there is a lot of data about that. That's a great question. Yeah. Wow. That's that's pretty significant. Now, you know, obviously burnout can affect anyone. And this is specifically to work-related things. So anyone working could ex obviously experience burnout. Now, this episode clearly is focused on physicians since we are the ones taking care of patients. What are sort of the differences between physician burnout versus the rest of the population? Are we at higher risk? There was a study that answered just that by Tate Shanafelt, and he is a foremost author on burnout studies. So what he did is he looked at a sample of over 3,442 working United States adults. And what he found that as a baseline, about general population having burnout was about 27.8%, okay? And so this is 2012 data, just to keep in mind. And physicians were, you know, almost 10 percentage points higher at about 37.9 in that cohort. So physicians, in answer to your question, are at increased risk of burnout in comparison to the general population. Now, you interestingly mentioned 2012. So kind of what about now since the pandemic has occurred? Well, even before that, I think it's important to mention that even physicians, it you know, burnout doesn't affect all the specialties in medicine equally. Okay, so I think several studies have shown that there's a significant difference in the prevalence of burnout between the different fields of medicine. So frontline physicians, such as emergency room physicians or critical care doctors, those 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 uh, disciplines have the highest and greatest risk of burnout. And, and that's what we saw. So I was fortunate to be part of a great team, Dr. Amy Vincent, who's um, also chair of the ASA Wellness Committee uh, over at Boston Children's. She's uh, Steve, uh, Stephen Schaffa and David Zorowski. And my research fellow, Josh Cadwell, we basically saw a need to study what was going on with burnout in anesthesiologists. There wasn't that much in the literature. The ends on previous studies were not that great. And so we decided to really look into this aspect. And what was interesting is we um, sent out this, these surveys looking at um, burnout and risk factors among anesthesiologists in the United States. Our first uh, survey went out March 6th. 2020. <laughs> we did not know what was going to happen. Wow. So, you know, in essence, it was, you know, we sent this out at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, I think burnout has been going on long before the pandemic. And I think the pandemic just really, you know, unveiled everything that was, that was going on wrong with our, with our system here. Um, but what we found was we basically conducted a survey to members of the ASA, the American Society of Anesthesiologists. And we contacted uh, over 28,000 um, anesthesiologists. And about 
completed the survey, which is still a high end number. And that's actually higher for, you know, survey studies usually have about 10 to 12%. So this is actually um, a higher percentage response rate than most surveys. And what we found that 59.2% of anesthesiologists, and I would say this is pre-COVID because we didn't really know what was hitting us then, um, were at high risk for burnout. 59.2, Mira. That's crazy. And 13.8% had burnout syndrome already. So as I mentioned, that was a trifecta of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a reduced sense of personal accomplishment. So 13.8% of anesthesiologists had that. And so what we did find were there were a lot of risk factors um, in the in the in in the survey that came out in terms of what the questions they answered. And what we found that the prevalence of burnout among anesthesiologists is high and workplace factors weighed heavily, even more so than personal factors. So um, we asked questions such as, you know, how much support do you have at work? How much support do you have at home? How, what are your hours? And we found that people that were high risk for burnout had little to no support at work. They had the highest risk of, of being burnt out. Was this more trainees, more attendings, kind of both? So what our study looked, I'll share, I'll share with you the data on trainees specifically. But what our study looked at was just attendings, practicing anesthesiologists in the United States. We found also that staffing shortages had an impact in terms of high risk for burnout as well as a question of not having a confidant at work. So not having a person at work to talk to, a colleague. So that's that's pretty impressive. Um, in terms of personal factors, we did see that age less than 50 puts you at increased risk for burnout. And that has been echoed in other studies as well. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, you know, age less than 50, you're also dealing with uh, raising a family. Um, sometimes you have dual professional uh, workloads, caregiving, stress, a child care, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, another thing that's really interesting that we found was if you spoke English as a second language, that was almost a protective factor. Huh. You were less likely to be at risk for burnout. So there were a few things that came out. I think we did put out a study, a survey study um, a couple of months ago. So this will be two years post-COVID. And um, you'll be hopefully reading about that very shortly. So stay tuned. Um, so you can really see the difference between the pre-COVID and the post-COVID. Right. Is there any preliminary data? <laughs> Pre-COVID, I mean, it wasn't going down. The burden right. was going down. <laughs> But pre-COVID, you know, 59, almost 60% of anesthesiologists are high risk for burnout, you know? So, I mean, our study consistently points out that if you do not feel supported at the workplace, you are at high risk for burnout. So your workplace culture and support really determine the degree of your burnout. Was there anything in terms of, you know, parts of the country, academic centers versus like a private practice group? Was there any sort of data that differentiated that? 
Yeah, so we actually found that private practice groups were at higher risk for burnout than academics. Um, since we only, you know, since we only had um, a certain amount of uh, space and number of questions to ask, uh, we didn't get into the demographics during our first survey, but we did during our second survey, and those were very interesting results that will be coming out shortly. And you did mention age less than 50. Um, was there anything else in terms of like race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, anything like that that also contributed to burnout? So in here, we didn't really see any differences with gender. However, other studies, burnout studies in the post-COVID era have shown there has been um, you know, females with higher in increase of burnout. That it could also be due to the fact that uh, you know sometimes burnout is over generalized in women because of the element of emotional exhaustion. But I do have to add that men are increased at, at increased risk for burnout, but it doesn't manifest outwardly as much because you know they usually uh, there have been a few studies that look at burnout and the characteristics of burnout in males are that depersonalization. So they retreat. And you can see that in, in some of the studies after. So that's that's how they show their, so it could be very underreported in, um, in males, but it shouldn't be forgotten. But we didn't see any difference in gender in our study this time. Anything in terms of like race or ethnicity? Uh, we didn't see anything with the race or ethnicity that really came out, but you really have to dig into the granular details um, because if you look at the different aspects of emotional exhaustion, um, reduced sense of personal accomplishments, you have to you have to really be granular in terms of looking through those. Um, but we didn't really see anything sticking out with that in our initial study. Yeah. And what about in terms of trainees? So in terms of trainees, um, there's actually quite a few studies out there about this topic. So. The first one that I'm going to talk to you about is a cross-sectional ASA survey. So this is a survey sent in 2013 to um, 2,773 anesthesia trainees. Mm -hmm. And this was on a validated um, scoring uh, assessment, which looked at burnout. And they found those that had high burnout risk um, which was in 41% of these trainees. So even these trainees in 2013, 41% were burnt out, right? Um, they found that working greater than 70 hours a week, having more than five drinks and female gender was associated with increased burnout. Having both burnout and depression, as I mentioned before, um, did occur in about 17% of anesthesia residents. So an, an additional important finding of high burnout um, is the fact that these people with high burnout reported that they deviated from best practice. So they had a higher amount of self-reported errors. And I think that's a very important concept here. The second study, which is a more recent data from 2019, um, they reached out to anesthesia residents who started their first year, CA one year, um, with a file that they had with the American Board of Anesthesiology. And they just 
reached out to about uh, almost 5,000. And they found that burnout was in 51% of anesthesia trainees. Wow. Okay. Depression was in 12% of them. So what's interesting here is increased hours per week they worked were associated with higher risk of distress, depression, okay, but not burnout. Also, higher amounts of student debt was also associated with distress and depression, but not burnout. Um, but what they did notice is institutional support and work-life balance factors were really factors that positively affected their 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 own well-being. So, I mean, I think this is important when we talk about trainees because compared to about 30 years ago, trainees coming out right now have so much educational debt Yeah, that, you know, it really affects uh, all the different choices and lifestyle choices, work choices, personal choices that they make. It does. And it also, you know, I think something that people don't really consider is like, okay, residency in general is obviously going to be a difficult time. And you always think of it as that like, well, it's short-lived, it's a few years, you can get through it. But if you're also saddled with so much debt, it's not like you can start as a full-fledged attending and set your own schedule, only work a certain amount of hours a week so that you don't burn out. You have to sort of make up for everything that you still owe. And so that also plays a factor into it. And then attendings become burned out as a result. Yeah. And it, I mean, I think it's a very vicious cycle, you know? Um, so that's, that's, that's some of the data out there with anesthesia trainees. And I think, you know, you, you'd mentioned earlier that, of course, ICU, ER would, of course, have a higher burnout. And then there are other specialties that have lower burnout rates. But I think in general, you can still kind of extrapolate to physicians as a group, physicians as a profession in whole will just tend to have higher burnout rates than the general population. And I think you, you know, hit the nail on the head in terms of workplace environment and then also possible debt and other issues that you have to deal with when you start off as an attending. Yeah. And, um, you know, the one study that I thought was, you know, very eye-opening was the fact that, you know, anesthesia trainees really, um, you know, self-reported increased errors. Yeah. So this really has an effect on patients and patient care. Right. You know, exhaustion can most definitely lead to medical errors. Um, you know, depersonalization, as I mentioned before, that indifferent attitude or cynicism um, or negative callous cynical behaviors, um, that can manifest as interacting with patients in a impersonal manner. And that's not good for the patient-doctor relationship. Um, you know, unprofessional comments, you know, blaming patients, inability to express grief when a patient dies. Mm -hmm. So in essence, I feel like the whole doctor-patient relationship can be compromised when the physician is burnt out. Absolutely. And you know, what you just said about sort of processing grief, I think that's something that is so important to mention because we've all been through this. We've all been through having those experiences with negative outcomes in terms of um, unexpected things happen in the hospital. And then your first few times sort of seeing that is shocking and you don't have enough time or, or there's not even enough focus put on dealing with that on feeling the grief you don't you can't process it exactly you can't process it it's a the phenomenon that you mentioned is like the second victim right so the first victim you know something may happen with the patient 
But then the people who are in the room dealing with the code or something like that, those, those are all second victims. And sometimes those are the people that need the support and help and to decompress or talk to a colleague about what happened, what could have gone wrong, what, you know, break down the situation. Those second victims are at increased risk for burnout, as you mentioned. You know, those are the people that we really are, that are vulnerable. Um, and even before the coronavirus pandemic, you know, health and care institutions are struggling with maintaining the wellness of their workforce, right? You know, uh, we talked about burnouts, depersonalization, emotional exhaustion, higher, even alarming is physicians and nurses, you know, having higher suicide rates than any worker in any other profession. In fact, according to the American Psychiatric Association, physicians are more than twice as likely to complete acts of suicide than the general population. Um, and so this pandemic, in a way, just added fuel as healthcare workers are fighting to pro protect the, the sick patients, staffing challenges, equipment shortages. Um, you know, even before the pandemic, 40%, or in our case, 60% of anesthesiologists were already burnt out. And now that's going to be higher. Now, overall, I think 60 to 75% of emotional of healthcare workers are feeling emotionally drained. Um, you know, our research team had done that large scale study. And so those results will be coming out to see what effect the COVID pandemic had on the risk factors for the rate of burnout and the risk factors for burnout itself. Um, you know, just in New York, since we are in New York, you know, um, Lorna Breen, a New York City emergency medicine physician, died by suicide in April 2020 as COVID-19 raged um, across the city and the country. And she was overwhelmed by what she experienced during those dark early days of the pandemic. And, you know, the Laura Breen Healthcare Act, Provider Protection Act, um, was was uh, just passed and really hopefully can shed some light and give some more funding and um, use evidence-based uh, mechanisms to infuse some more research into this and, and allow for more support for our healthcare workers. And it's such a vicious cycle because it's not even like, you know, if every time something negative happens and you want time to process it, you feel like if I take some time to process it, uh, if I take a few days off or something, you're just going to put more burden on your colleagues that have to pick up the slack because you're short staffed and you don't you don't have the luxury of really like taking a step back and trying to process these things. And it just becomes this vicious cycle. And especially now, I mean, you're reading on the newspaper, you're seeing in all the different hospitals, nursing shortages, physician shortages, ORs being closed because they can't they don't have the staffing. You know, patients aren't getting the care that they deserve because of this going on and we're not paying attention. So what do you think we can do? Like what changes can be made? One by the individual physician themselves, which is obviously can be really difficult, but then really like by the medical system, by governmental policy, all these things to sort of treat and prevent burnout. So first of all, we have to recognize this as a problem. We can't have our blinders on. Um, we see it manifest already with people calling in sick more people leaving the workforce, early retirement, early, you know, this is impacting all of us at all levels, as you mentioned, and there is no quick fix solution. Let me repeat that. There is no quick fix solution, but I do think you have to address it at all different levels, you know, at the individual level, at the departmental level, at the hospital level, at the societal level, 
Um, so I will give you a couple of resources that I think that are out there that are pretty good. The AMA has the modules and resources on peer support, how to be a great peer support, how to be someone you can talk to. As you mentioned, sometimes there's no one to talk to at work. You know, we're so isolated as anesthesiologists in our different silos that it's really hard to have someone to talk to about something that happened or decompress about something. Also having a moment and taking care of yourself. You know, we take care of patients all the time and we need to kind of step back and just take care of ourselves sometimes, whether, you know, just healthy eating, exercise, physical activity, uh, mental wellness, uh, meditation, all the things that bring joy back into our lives. What sparks joy as Marie Kondo would say, you know, what sparks joy within yourself? So I think those few things, but I think, um, you know, peer support programs have been an essential component of change, culture change from a culture of silence and expected perfectionism and culture of blame to a way of us being there for each other and really being a peer, you know, you have to be, you can be trained. There's some modules and how to be a peer, a peer support person. Um, that's why, you know, it's important to learn that, to accept that sometimes physicians cannot fix a peer's pain, but just to listen. That's why peer support training is necessary for physicians to offer their colleagues a support in a way that we're not used to just like fixing the problem, you know? Really coming down to asking the anesthesiologist, what works for you? I mean, you can't offer yoga and meditation when the problem is staffing solutions, right? I mean, that that's kind of an insult. So you have to actually get down and really get the pulse of the department and say, okay, we're at a crisis here. What's going on? What is the three, four big things that are affecting you and our department? And then step back and address those versus these Band-Aid solutions. You know, free lunch is not necessarily going to help me when I can't even get out of the OR during lunch hour, right? You know, so, you know, there's often a disconnect with the solutions and the problems. So I think um, serving the actual anesthesiologist and talking to them, having that interplay between administration and the physicians on the on the battlefront, you know, you know, closing that gap and also us as physicians being at the table for these big administrative changes. If you're not at the table, you're for dinner. That's what someone said to me, right? So I think making sure that there's those feelings of support in mentorship, um, in your work life, creating a work environment that's good for yourself and for your colleagues, being kind and, and really, you know, trying to figure out what works best for you and changing things. I think there was a, there was a quote, Thomas Schwenk had this quote, it's this proverbial canary in a coal mine. And he said, physicians are the proverbial canary in the coal mine. While the canary may be sick, it's the mind that's toxic. So caring for the sick canary is compassionate, but likely futile unless there is fresh air in the mind. So what he means by that is canaries are very talkative birds and their lung physiology makes them very sensitive to poison. So coal miners would take canaries down with them into these coal mines. And if the canaries would stop singing, that was their signal to the miners that it was time to leave. Otherwise, they would too, they would as well succumb to the air. 
So that was a life-saving maneuver. So unfortunately, the physicians appear to be the canary in the coal mine in this environment these days. So unless we change this work environment, um, nothing's really going to change. Thank you so much for joining us. This was truly an enlightening discussion. You know, it's a little bit of a different type of topic than we normally talk about on this podcast, but I think it's definitely something that needed to be talked about because, you know, we're often talking about how we can better take care of others, but we never really talk about the behind the scenes and how we can actually take care of ourselves because oftentimes, especially in the environment that we are in now, we really, we really don't, and we have to start doing better. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at thefemalepaindocs for more content. Send us an email at thefemalepaindocs at gmail if you have any topics in particular you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.